Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Book Burners, Episode 15. One. Sal had seen Liam's tattoos many times, but before sex, she usually had other things on her mind. And afterward, they either dozed off in the dark or one or the other of them left. This particular encounter, starting with apologies and ending up in bed, took place in the afternoon, without other demands on their time. A thread of sunlight snaked over his torso, and Sal got up to open the curtains. Liam shielded his face and winced. What are you doing? Sal flopped on the bed and propped herself on her elbows to study his ink, lit in delicious detail by the afternoon sun, like smoke signals from someone trapped deep within him. She traced her finger along his ribs, making him twitch. Wispy smoke trailed up Liam's flank from a brassy lamp tattooed on his hip. Why do you have Aladdin's lamp down here when the rest of you is covered in Catholic stuff? Well, that's a thurible, an incense burner. Sal frowned, tracing the smoke over his ribs and chest, keeping her finger on him, even as he squirmed. But all your other ink's religious. Liam caught her hand in his and kissed her fingers. Hot tickles he said, pressing her palm against his chest. She could feel his heart beating. Hang on, you work at the Vatican, but you don't know what a thurible is? Have you ever seen me at Mass? I'm still very much not Catholic, in case you forgot. She freed her hand and poked him in the thurible. So what is it? I'm guessing a genie doesn't live there. The priest burns incense in the thing, swings it around, and makes the sign of the cross. It's used in blessings, consecrations, and the like. Oh, Sal said, and I guess that's a rosary? The beads tattooed on his neck and chest were red and black and grouped in irregular numbers. At the end, a detailed crucifix was inked over his sternum. I got that one after a job where it would have been useful to have a rosary along, and I didn't. Now I'm never without one. Did you get Menchu to bless the tattoo gun or something? Sal asked, laughing. Liam looked very serious. Every time. It's like holy water, but for ink. He touched the backs of his hands, first the left and then the right. 
Tiny crude crosses occupied the knuckles where many tattoo enthusiasts put letters. The back of his left hand sported a more detailed cross, while the right hand had three spirals bundled together. Except for these. I got these before joining the order. Sal examined his other tattoos, from the lamb on his left bicep, to the lion on his right, to the Greek character on his forearm. More and more Christian imagery. Why so many? You ink your faith all over you, but you don't seem the devout type day to day. She tweaked his nipple. Liam sat up, removing her hand from his chest. He examined his own tattoos as if he hadn't looked at them in a while. They're reminders, protection. You think God will protect you more with seven tattoos than six? Believe it, Liam said, looking away. Why? These are important to me and you're laughing at them. I just wondered if the number mattered, Sal said. I didn't realize you took it so seriously. Sure, I cover myself with ink on a dare, he snapped. And then you have dirty premarital sex with a colleague. Liam's eyes narrowed. Are you calling me a hypocrite? I just don't understand. The church isn't really into this sort of thing. She waved her hands, encompassing his room in general and their naked post-coital state in particular. As far as I know, you have all this holy ink like you're armoring yourself, and yet you're fine fucking me. We're not married. We're not even in love. How does that work? He looked at her sharply as if stung. This is why I don't discuss my faith with you. You don't ask. You've already made up your mind. Liam, I don't assume. I don't care, really. I'm just curious. I want to learn more about you, so... She faltered. So what? He asked, leaning toward her, challenging her. So we can start dating in between saving the world from demons? So we can fall in love and maybe get to have a tragic moment as one of us dies in the other's arms? How about we plan a wedding and have it interrupted by the orb telling us Satan's about to take a piss on Buckingham Palace? That's a little over the top, Sal began, but he didn't let up. When Menchu found me, I was damned, he said. I had been corrupted body and soul. When he saved me, I opened my eyes and saw God's hand in the world. I pledged myself to do his work. Sal pursed her lips. She hadn't heard him talk like this before, like someone from a fundamentalist documentary. I've opened a door I shouldn't have. Well, you don't get, he continued. It's that we aren't normal people who can afford to have normal lives. We're always on call with a duty more important than any friend or lover or spouse. Since we can't be normal, I let myself peek through the window at real life from time to time. That's why I'm fine with this. He waved his hand at her. They now stood nude, the bed between them. The room throbbed with an electricity only sex or a furious exit could ground, and Sal was too angry for sex. She grabbed her shirt from the chair and looked around for her pants. Jesus Christ she said, purposely swearing. Like, I don't know the stakes. I'm a cop, Liam. I know what it is to wonder if you're gonna live to see tomorrow, to know people depend on you. I lived like that for years. Lots of people do, and they fall in love and get married all the time. She paused in the middle of pulling on her shirt. It's stressful, we deal with life and death, and magic makes our work scarier, but you grab happiness when you can. If you're determined to be unhappy, that's on you, not the job. She left before he could reply. She didn't make it to her apartment. She had stopped in her favorite pastry shop to pick up some comfort cannoli when her phone buzzed. She considered ignoring it, not wanting to talk to Liam, but checked it anyway. Hey, Santi, she said, the knot in her chest loosening. Enjoying your day off? 
Sal wondered again whether Asante knew what was going on with Liam. The archivist had a keen eye, but then she rarely hinted when she could say something outright. Just buying some cannoli. What's up? We have some activity that might interest you in the U.S. again. Working with the order was the first job to give Sal the full-on roller coaster thrill dread cocktail. A trip to the U.S. meant home, burgers and pizza, American pizza, the stuff she grew up eating, and English spoken all the time. And these days, it meant tornado eaters and demons and demon worshippers, oh my. More storm-eating monsters? She asked, paying for the cannoli. The woman behind the counter raised an eyebrow, overhearing her. Creative writing student, Sal said, covering the phone with her hand. Not quite, Asante said. I'm still looking into the details, but it's definitely coming from Las Vegas. Sal had never been to Vegas. She put the pastry bag into her purse and pushed the door open. Sin City? I'd love to see Grace play poker. That woman has no tells. I'll tell her you said so, Asante said, sounding amused. Go home and get a good night's rest. Uh, we're leaving tomorrow. I'll brief you when I have more information. You don't need me to come by the archive or anything? Sal asked, frowning. Not right now. We won't leave you in the dark, Sal. We just need more information. Trust me. She hung up, leaving Sal glaring at her phone in the middle of the sidewalk. I'm getting a burger this time, damn it, Sal muttered and headed home. Two. Sal was hanging clothes on the line when she heard a knock on her door. Liam stood there, smiling awkwardly, wearing a black t-shirt, his leather jacket, and his backpack. He carried a grocery bag under one arm. Time to go already? Sal asked, not moving out of the way to invite him in. I thought Asante didn't need us until tomorrow. Not quite. I'm here for both work and pleasure. Sal opened her mouth to say she wasn't in the mood for pleasure, but Liam raised his free hand to stop her. Not that kind of pleasure. Asante wants us to do some research for our trip, and I thought I could cook dinner while we research. Because you're hungry, Sal said. Because I want to apologize, Liam said patiently. Sal stepped aside, feeling small for trying to bait him. What are we having? Bolognese, he said grandly, leading her to the kitchen. Really? Not bangers and mushy peas and blood pudding? Sal asked, following him. You can't get good mushy peas as far south. I think it has to do with the climate, he said with a grin. We work with what we have. Sal poured wine while he puttered around her kitchen. I didn't know you cooked, she said, handing him a glass of Shiraz. There's a lot you don't know about me, he said. I started cooking after I woke up. She nodded. You can trust food you cook yourself. Liam looked surprised, but nodded. Exactly. Sal sat down in a chair to watch him cook. What do we know about this job? Liam judged Sal's kitchen knives one by one, found all of them dissatisfactory, produced his own knife from his backpack, and began chopping onions. You'll love this, he said, focusing on the chopping. The strange activity is coming from a tattoo parlor in Las Vegas. Sal took a long drink of wine. Of course it is. It gets weirder, he continued, wiping his eyes with his shirt sleeve. Half the problem is recorded and online, or rather the lead up is. Turns out our monster's on a tattoo reality show. Sal held up her hand. Wait, 
We have research that doesn't involve dusty books or listening to men chew in a Santi fight. We can prep with wine and trashy reality TV, she asked in wonder. Exactly, Liam said, reaching into his bag to pull out another bottle of wine and three wrapped butcher packages. Good, Sal said. We're going to need more wine. That's for the sauce, Liam said, reaching into the bag again. He handed her a second bottle. That's for us. The last thing he pulled from the bag was a loaf of bread. Freshly baked, but we'll want to warm it up for dinner. He reached for the oven handle, but Sal placed her hand over his and held it there. Oven's broken, she said absently. I'm sure the bread is fine as is. Living without an oven is barbaric, Sal, he said, winking at her. Sal smiled, feeling the tension finally crack. We all have our struggles. Now let's get watching. Sal stirred the bolognese, and Liam set the laptop on the kitchen table and plugged it in. I downloaded the four episodes that aired before the show was canceled. Sal fought to unstick some meat from the bottom of the pot. Do you think the demon's the reason it was canceled? Oh, definitely, he said and pulled out the first episode full screen on his laptop. Luckily, I found some more footage. Hollywood's really clueless about network security. Keep stirring. He uncorked the sauce wine and poured it into the pan where it hissed and spat. He took over stirring, pausing to add more wine and then a small carton of milk. He turned the heat down, dumped in a zip-top bag of dried herbs, and put the lid on. Now we wait, he said. Sal poured more wine and joined him at the kitchen table. The show was called Ink Stains, Vegas, with tacky hearts and thorns and dripping blood surrounding the show's logo. Classy, Sal said. Liam snorted. The first episode introduced the artists, 12 heavily tattooed people of different races and genders, all looking as tough as they could for the camera. One of the men had a locust tattooed on his Adam's apple, and Liam pointed to him. That kind of tattoo will make you throw up. That guy, man, watch him. Five of the people interested Sal. The man with the locust, who went by the very original name of Hannibal, was thin and small with full sleeve tattoos and bright red flames peeking out from the collar of his white t-shirt. A bald Latina who went by the name Sugar Skull had black lines tracing her skull bones, with brightly colored flowers sprinkled around. A very tall, large black man had full sleeves on his arms, normal enough, but his hands were inked entirely black, like a pair of gloves, including his palms. His name was Charles. By now, Sal was wincing. These people have got to be addicted to pain, she said. The endorphin rush is amazing, Liam admitted but it takes a special kind of person to get that much ink. The last two were the most interesting. One was a white woman almost as large as Charles, about 50 years old, with horrible illustrations of children's heads up and down her arms, complete with dates underneath them. She looked like a frequent canvas, not an artist herself. But she called herself Mama Tat. And if you call me Mama Bleep, we're gonna have a problem, she said to the camera during her interview. The camera then cut to Sugar Skull, who looked impressed. That is a woman who has run out of bleeps to give, she said. Maybe she once cared what people thought of her, but not anymore. I thought they were supposed to all hate each other on sight, Sal said. No one's even said they're not here to make friends yet. The final person introduced was a small man with light brown skin and large eyes. He wore a long sleeve shirt and khakis with no visible ink. His name was Gardner. This guy must have wandered in off the street, looking for a martini bar, Sugar Skull said when they cut back to her. Seemed like Sugar Skull was the go-to for opinions about the others. 
He just don't fit in. The interview camera went to Charles and, what's that little bleep doing in here? He doesn't have any bleep ink. You gotta pay your dues in an industry like this. He held his ink-covered hands to the camera. They cut to another contestant, a woman with a long blonde braid and a leather vest over a white tee. Her tattoos were all cursive words written down her arms, over her hands, and one word going up her neck. Sal couldn't read any of it. A guy like that is the kind of bleep you get drunk and make him get some ink, she said. She flexed her right arm and the word on her biceps was censored, so Sal assumed it was a swear word. This was my first tattoo, my rite of passage. I have more footage of people talking about Gardner than of him talking about himself, Liam said. Sal shushed him and leaned forward. He's back on, she said. Gardner had limp black hair that looked unwashed. It hung in his eyes. I have a parlor on the strip, he said. I specialize in anything with plants. Mostly flowers, but I can do seeds, vines, insects, uh, leaves. I'll do whatever the customer asks, of course, he added. But I love inking plants. Cut back to Sugar Skull. Plants, she said in a deadpan. Back to Gardner. I have no tattoos of my own, he said, looking sad as if he were talking about children. Yeah, that guy needs watching, Sal said. I know they edit these shows to make us like or dislike certain people, but a clean-skinned tattoo artist is like a tan hacker or a dental hygienist with bad teeth. Liam had returned to the sauce. He poured in a can of tomatoes and added a bay leaf. I've never seen someone who works with ink not have their own, he agreed. The first challenge came up, to do a cover-up job on botched or crappy existing tattoos. Two customers wanted X's names eradicated, one embarrassed guy wanted a drunken tattoo on his butt removed, and an older man in a suit wanted a youthful, indiscretion, a dog urinating on the German flag, removed from his arm. The artists each managed to cover their client's tattoo with talking head interviews interrupting the tattooing scenes. Charles's interview was so laden with profanity that it was more bleep than anything, but Sal got the distinct impression that he didn't approve of his client, a small blonde man who needed his ex-girlfriend's name removed before his current girlfriend would agree to marry him. Charles had given him a detailed train covering the name, complete with it going into a tunnel at the top of his shoulder. You know, like when he bleeps his new wife. He talked slowly as if everyone around him was stupid. The train is his bleep. And the tunnel is her bleep. It's metaphorical. I don't know why he got so bleep and out of shape, he said. Cut to Sugar Skull, laughing too hard to say anything. Mama Tad had a man who wanted to remove a small pink flower on his forearm. He mumbled something about a drunken night, not looking into the camera. Mama Tad had given him a bigger, pinker flower. The guy is closeted and needs to bleep embrace his true nature she said simply. Cut to Gardner, who looked coldly at the camera. I should have gotten the flower. Sal was convinced the client would be super pissed. Tat's going home, she guessed. But no, Charles with his metaphorical sex tattoo went home along with three others. The shocker was that Mama Tat had been absolutely right about the man who had a tearful confession coming out during his exit interview, cradling his forearm as if he had just won a trophy. Cut to Mama Tat, looking pleased with herself. I got an eye for little boys not knowing their true selves, she said simply. Gardner had the man in the suit as his customer. 
He turned the rude image into a full-sleeved giant redwood with rich browns and reds and greens growing up the man's arms, roots wrapping around his wrist and leaves covering his shoulder. It was a huge tattoo to do in one sitting, the narrator claimed, and the client was sweating and shaking by the end of it. I thought he just wanted a cover-up so he could go golfing. That thing is huge, Sal said. That customer also cried during his exit interview, expressing extreme happiness at his ink and saying he would definitely be back for more from Gardner in the future. Gardner won the challenge, making Mama Tat say some choice expletives during her talking head interview. It's fun to watch, Sal said, shoveling pasta in her mouth. Liam definitely could cook. But I don't get the weird part. What's the threat here? Liam pulled a tablet from his backpack and began searching online. The threat is the reason they canceled the show, he said, his eyes widening. Every client we just saw is now dead. The other episodes were as entertaining as the first, only overshadowed by the fact that Sal knew everyone under the tattoo gun would die. Why did they even air the show if people started dying, Sal asked. They didn't start dying until after the show aired, Liam said, reading from Menchu's email. It began four months after people got their tattoos. This show aired faster than most, so there were two episodes in before the deaths began. After four episodes, the producers put things together and canceled the show before anyone else figured it out. Sal thought for a moment. Las Vegas is a tourist city. Most of these clients got their tattoos and went home, so they only have one connection. How many episodes did they film? Twelve, he said. And people kept dying after they pulled it. It wasn't a question. Yeah, this week would have been episode six. Sal ran her hand through her hair. So people continued to die every week or so, everyone who got ink on the show. Not just under certain artists? All of them. Manchu thinks it has something to do with the ink itself. Ink is easy to bless or curse. But the curse had to come from somewhere. Find the spell, remove the curse, the remaining ink should go dormant. Liam considered his own hands again. But if whichever tattoo artist is doing this got sent home, it should stop, right? We just track who went home, when, and when people stop dying, we can figure out who did it. Sure, if you want to wait and see when people stop dying, Sal said, exasperated. What if whoever did it ended up winning? That's a good point, Liam said, frowning at the bottle of wine. The second one was half-drained. I think it's time to put this away and pay closer attention. Who do you suspect? Uh, Mama Tat convinced a guy to come out on national television. He was wearing a wedding ring, Liam. That says magic to me. Or is she just very convincing, Liam said. What about Charles? He could have been out for revenge. He got voted off first, and the tattoo was quite good, if lewd. Gardner is just creepy, Sal said. Another guy whose customer acted in a way we really didn't expect. They added Sugar Skull to the list just because she didn't act like a normal reality show contestant, being impressed, amused by, or otherwise friendly about her fellow contestants. Let's keep watching, Sal said, opening the bag of cannoli and offering one to Liam. The third aired show cut Hannibal, who turned out not to be hardcore at all despite his locust, and two other artists who hadn't really impressed Sal and Liam. Nothing strange happened, except that Gardner's customers were always 100% satisfied with their work, which was consistently plant-based. Sugar Skull showed her skill as an artist and was also the only person to give the customers a lot of TLC regarding the pain. Mama Tad showed loud, expletive-laden maternal love for her customers, not all of whom appreciated it, but it seemed to help her in the challenges. 
After the last aired episode, Sal threw down her pen in frustration. Nothing, no clues. Liam stretched. The wine had worn off, and they had both switched to water. We're narrowing it down, at least. Now we start on the raw footage. He sat down next to her and draped an arm over her shoulders. She let him. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Three. Against everything Sal would have expected, Grace was the one most visibly excited about Las Vegas. She sat in her seat clutching the remains of the day, bookmarked nearly at the end, and stared out the window, drumming her fingers. Sal, in the seat beside her, was trying to use the plane's Wi-Fi to look up all the tattoo shops in Vegas, while Liam sifted through records of how each of the victims died. Las Vegas has some great bookstores, I've heard, Grace said. I hope we'll have time to visit Amber Unicorn books. Are you a collector? Sal asked. The ones I've seen you reading have been pretty new. I'm looking for rare books, Grace said. Online shopping is fine, but nothing beats a good used bookstore. I'm looking for Mary Shelley's lesser-known books. Menchu and Liam were talking about the job. What did you and Sal find last night? Menchu asked. The unaired footage, the dailies, they showed some pretty weird stuff, Liam said. Dull as hell to wade through and find the weird stuff, though. I wouldn't want to have to edit those shows, Sal said, leaning over their seats. Tattooing is pretty damn boring. And they ask these horrible leading questions during the interviews. The producers have in their heads who they want to show as the slightly crazy one, who's the darling, who's the asshole. They ask questions to bring that out. They can make Grace sound like a party girl and Liam like a tweed-elbowed egghead if they tried. It's a shame they canceled it. It would have made for some ratings gold. Did you find out who won? Menchu asked. 
Liam shook his head. The footage was raw and lacked selective editing and talking heads to narrate the action. But the challenges continued, with Mama Tad and Gardner taking top place most often. They grew to hate each other, and dormitory footage showed that their mid-challenge arguments often continued when they returned to their rooms. Sal and Liam reviewed as many hours as they could, but there was more footage than they could watch in one night. They skipped around to find the winners and learned that Mama Tad and Gardner reached the finals together, but not who had won. They did find out that the final challenge had been to tack to each other. So I thought we could just find out who was doing all of this by waiting to see which one, Liam said. But Sal was against that idea. It would be efficient, said Grace, if time-consuming. But we're not team one. We want to stop these deaths, Sal said. Sal, Manchu said disapproving. Team one doesn't kill indiscriminately. Sal nodded. And the government and the church have our best interests at heart, I know, father. He sighed and turned back to Liam. Any word on causes of death? It's not the tattoos themselves, at least not obviously. We had one heart attack, one car accident, one fall from a ladder, one from a fast-growing cancer. The man from the first episode had a stroke on a golf course. The Redwood guy? I liked him, Sal said. What about the guy who came out on the show? Tripped over his dog and hit his head, died instantly, Liam read from his computer. One interesting thing, he continued, was that each victim was pale and emaciated at the time of their death, even those who didn't die of sickness, as if they had been drained. He looked at Manchu. Does that sound familiar? Manchu nodded and pulled a heavy book from under his seat. Tattoos come from all over the world, he said, settling into his lecture mode. They can indicate anything from the places a traveler has been to whether a woman has reached marriageable age. Some use them to channel spirit animals, some for protection against magic. Some tattoos even indicate the specific skills of the wearer. Did anyone you saw last night look like their tattoos had any rituals associated with them? Liam nodded. A couple of guys with prison or gang tattoos. Uh, one Asian businessman had some interesting tattoos on his back. Grace leaned forward with interest. Was he from Cambodia? Liam shrugged. I can look him up. I've got it, Sal said, looking at her notebook. Kung Kyo, yeah, Cambodian. He was heavily inked on his back, a lot of circles with spikes and animals, uh, two tigers. When was he on the show, Grace asked. Sixth episode. He was part of the History of Tattoo Challenge, where the tattoo artists had to give ink from a culture they weren't familiar with, Liam said, pulling up the footage and passing his laptop back to Grace. I remember him. He had a bunch of tattoos and talked like he would throw a fit if they disrespected his culture. Sal said. It made me wonder why he was taking a chance on a reality tattoo show. Mama Tat won the round by giving Kung Kyo a tattoo of nine spikes on the back of his neck. The client seemed happy. Sugar Skull left the show for going to her tattoo design book for a Japanese kanji that was supposed to mean peace, but actually meant rat. Manchu flipped through his book, leaning close to the fine print. If he was tattooed in the sixth episode, he shouldn't be dead yet, right? Sal turned to the page in her notebook with the list she and Liam had made of the remaining clients and their projected death dates. The clients from the fifth episode would have died six days ago. They took a week off before the sixth episode, and so we have one day to stop the next batch from dying. It sounds like Mama Tat and Gardener are her two main suspects. So when we touch down, I want Grace and Sal to go to the tattoo shops. 
Liam will search to see if any clients from the Sixth Show are still in Vegas, Manchu said. How many of the clients were tourists? Asked Sal. Those would all be back home by now, wouldn't they? Kyang Kyo was in Vegas for a lengthy business trip, said Liam. Probably still there. Grace leaned her seat back. Are any of these tattoo shops near a bookstore? After the 16-hour flight, Manchu gave them an hour to get situated in their hotel before they got to work. Once freshened up and somewhat alert, Sal and Grace headed out to scout for food, books, and tattoo joints. Mama Tat's tattoo parlor was called Babyface, and it was a short walk from Amber Unicorn Books, in which Grace spent 11 minutes and 45 seconds finding two Mary Shelley books. They dropped by a casino for a burger and to plan their next move. How are you going to fight a tattoo artist? Sal asked through a mouthful of Angus beef. $27 seemed a lot for a burger, but the Vatican could afford it. Grace considered, same way I fight anything else. I find a place that hurts and I punch it. It's easier than you think. But haven't you gone up against, I don't know, a ghost or anything? Something insubstantial? Ghosts always have a physical anchor, like a book or a bed or a candle. Ghosts are easy. The waitress, a woman with bottle red hair wearing far too little and looking even more tired than Sal felt, came by to check on them. Sal spied a tattoo on the swell of the waitress's right breast. It was a hummingbird sipping at a delicate yellow flower. She pointed to it. Beautiful ink, did you get it in town? The woman smiled and stuck her chest out further. I call it my tip magnet, on account of my tip's doubling since I got it. Take my word for it, ladies, men like boobs with the ink. Sal coughed and Grace stared at the woman. Thanks for the advice, Sal said when she recovered. Where did you get it? Little join on the strip, butler's tray, it was called. Odd place, it closed down a few weeks ago, in fact. Why's that, Sal asked. Too much competition. If you're not on a reality show now, you don't get the business. At least that's how it seems, she said and left to check on other customers. Even if nothing was weird here, why would someone think only 12 tattoo joints could service a city as big as Vegas, Sal asked. There has to be something else going on. Grace shook her head. I can't see why someone would waste time and energy marking their skin on purpose. Sal thought about Liam with his ink and smiled. They have their place. Grace looked at her strangely. Have you done it? Sal snapped back to reality. Gotten tattooed? No, never. I'm not against it, just never found something I wanted to put on my body forever. Grace nodded. Since forever is an even longer situation for me, I agree. Sal searched for the location of Butler's tray on the strip and for other tattoo places. Babyface was close, in fact, and open all hours. Who would want to get a tattoo at three in the morning? Grace asked as they left the casino. Jet lag businessmen, drunk tourists. Jet lag drunk tourist businessmen, Sal said. Grace checked her watch. How are we going to find this mama tat person? With her fame, I expect she will be too busy for chatting. I thought about getting an appointment, but I figured she would be booked because of the TV show, so I'll just flash my badge, Sal said, moving aside her jacket and pointing to the badge on her belt. You mean the badge that says NYPD on it? Grace said flatly. No one ever looks at the badge too closely. I had a buddy who got backstage at a concert with a school safety badge. Sal laughed, remembering. She got in trouble for that big time. And she found out the guys from Maroon 5 really don't party much. Bunch of yoga mats and fruit juice. Grace didn't smile, and Sal wondered if she kept up with pop music. 
probably not. We can try the walk-in method first, then the badge, and if all else fails, we break in through the back door. Grace nodded at last. Sounds like fun. Let's try the carrot before the stick, Grace, Sal said, checking her phone again for the address to Mama Tat's. The front window of Mama Tat's baby face was decorated like a lot of tattoo parlors. Neon signs, roses, jesters, and the face of a baby Sal remembered from Mama Tat's many baby tattoos. Inside, blue polyester couches and gaudy frame pictures of half-naked women and men furnished a waiting room full of impatient tattooed customers. Behind the red counter stood a woman with blonde hair swept into a bun, blue hipster glasses, and a pink business suit. She looked closely at a clipboard, ticking something off a list. Penelope Ancy, you're next. She called in a drawl Sal recognized as Georgian. A young white woman with blue hair, several facial piercings, and a white tank top that showed off her many tattoos pulled herself off a couch. My name's Black Mamba, she complained. Now take your name from your ID, honey. Your friends can call you whatever they like, the receptionist said without looking up. Black Mamba flipped her the bird half-heartedly as she slouched through a door, following a heavyset black man. Sal blinked and realized the man was Charles from the show. I'm almost willing to let you assume she's the demon. Just go ahead and punch her, Sal said, nodding toward the receptionist, who clearly didn't fit. There's nothing demonic about this place, Grace said. Get your info, but whatever it is, it's not here. All right, Sal sighed and walked up to the counter. We'd like to see Mama Tat, please. The woman looked at them over her glasses. Do you have an appointment? The question is rhetorical, because all of her appointments are already here. What I mean to say is anyone who thinks they can walk in and just get Mama Tat is deranged or drunk. And we don't serve as drunkards. They bleed too much. You don't seem, Sal began, but the woman interrupted her with a wave of her hand. Like I should work at a tattoo parlor? She rolled her eyes. After the show started, they realized that they had to stop hiring their tattooed buddies to hold down the front desk and get a real administrative professional. Look at what I have to deal with, though. They don't even have a computer here, though Mama Tat could afford a server farm at this point. Is it usually like this? Sal asked, gesturing to the waiting room. She let her southern drawl creep into her voice. Every hour of the day, the admin said. Impressive. And what's the wait for a tattoo for Mama herself? Three months. Cost? Fifteen hundred an hour. Sal choked back a laugh. Is she that good? She's famous, the admin said. That's all she needs. Now, is there anything I can do for you ladies that doesn't involve Mama Tat? Perhaps an appointment three months out? Or you can see one of our other artists in two weeks. You can tell me if there have been any complaints from the customers, Sal said carefully, not wanting to say deaths right away. None. Mama Tat has satisfied customers or she touches up for free, the admin said. Are you from the health department? You're required to show me ID if you are. Not the health department. Sal said, she moved her jacket aside so her badge peeked out. But I do have some questions for her. Let me see that, the admin said, gesturing. Sal groaned inwardly and passed the badge on. NYPD, the admin said carefully. She glanced back up at Sal, and I'd have pegged you as Southern. South Carolina, originally, Sal said. The admin's eyes narrowed. Clemson? My daddy went to Georgia Tech. Sal lied smoothly. The admin relaxed. While not a fan herself, Sal could speak the language of college rivalries. Is Mama Tad in some kind of trouble? The admin asked. 
No, we're asking questions regarding the TV show she was on, but she isn't in trouble, Sal said, silently adding, not yet, anyway. The woman nodded smartly. Since you're a southern gal, I'll tell you this. Mama Tat takes her after-work drink at Caesars. She gets off around 11. Thanks, hon, Sal said. You're listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. You know that moment when you realize danger is right around the corner? Maybe you feel it on the, on the back of your neck like those little hairs that stick up, right? Or, or the palms of your hands are itchy and hot at the same time, or your heart is beating so fast it's, it's like a hum? Well, I love that feeling, and I'm pretty sure that you do too. So let me introduce you to Adrenaline. My name is Neil Helligers, and I am the host of Adrenaline, which is a curated collection of Realm's most riveting thrillers. And as your host, I'll be here to guide you through a new audio series coming at you each month. So whether you're uncovering the secret of disappearing ships in the Bermuda Triangle or in the race of your life against time and your evil doppelganger and it's only Tuesday, fight or flight are not your only options in the face of danger. Sometimes you just need to keep on listening. So buckle in, yeah, get, get that one too, yeah, that chin strap is important, and get ready to embark on a journey of adrenaline. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Exe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith and additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi featuring Jody Redditch-Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>